great. I, I hope you found it a great video in a way. It's from The Prince of Egypt. I'm sure you've, uh, many of us have seen that movie. It, it's a lovely movie. Um, and this is, of course, this famous section about the, the ten plagues, of all, at least the first nine of them. Now, why show this video? I think this is a, a great picture of how we usually think of the plagues, isn't it? This great battle between, well, Moses and Pharaoh, or, or God and Pharaoh, where God just keeps sending plague after plague to convince Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the tough guy who, uh, who just keeps on saying no. The thing is, in a movie like this, we, uh, we miss a few things that are there in the Bible. And for that, I want to ask the question, maybe, why nine plagues? It's quite a big section, yeah? four chapters, and they don't achieve very much. So at the end of all this, the people are just as enslaved as they were before, weren't they? They're still not free. God keeps on trying, but Pharaoh just won't listen. Whereas the question is, did God underestimate Pharaoh? Did he think of frogs? That will do it. So he sends all the frogs. Pharaoh says, no. Hmm. Okay, what now? Flies. That's not God, isn't it? God knows the future. Uh, he still sends all these plagues. Is it that Pharaoh just needs a lot of persuasion? That's kind of, yeah, one plague isn't enough. He needs ten strikes before he's out. Well, if you know the reading, you probably know that uh, God sometimes hardens Pharaoh's heart. So God is slowing it down. He's not speeding it up. So I don't know if you knew that. These nine plagues are deliberate. It's planned by God. And yeah, if you read it and you look carefully at the structure, it's very deliberate. Now, was this punishment? Was this judgment? Uh, definitely, in some sense. Uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they had oppressed God's people for hundreds of years, haven't they? Uh, they deserved judgment. Uh, Pharaoh killed all the Hebrew baby boys, remember? Threw them into the Nile. Uh, punishment is right. And yet that's still not the whole reason. Yeah? And so we're going to have our reading now. And I want us to think and listen out to that. Why is God doing this? What are we supposed to learn from these nine plagues? I think that would be an interesting exercise. Now, I'm first going to pray, and then uh, David and Jenny are going to make their way here. We're going to do our reading. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you and we can see. Uh, we pray that uh, you would speak to us as we uh, listen to this reading. Uh, please, would you speak to our hearts and minds, and then... Help me to bring your word faithfully, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to say, we're having a, an editor's reading, so it would be 20 minutes if we'd read it all. And that would be a bit too much for you, we thought, especially given the second service coming up. So this is a, a shorter reading. I've left out a few plagues. I've left out a few paragraphs, a few verses here and there, summarized a few bits to bring it down to about half the time. Uh, so... If you read, your, read along in your Bible, that doesn't work because I've left some things out. So just follow along on the screen or listen to David and Jenny who will uh, read these plagues for us. Thanks. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh, 
to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of all your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come onto you and your people and all your officials. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. 
And the Lord did what Moses asked. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So God sends the flies, and Pharaoh asks Moses again to pray to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring in their slaves and their livestock. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and the livestock in the field. So the hail comes, and it's the worst storm ever. Pharaoh again admits he is wrong and asks Moses to pray. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. When Pharaoh saw saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? 
Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? So Pharaoh tries to negotiate, but says no in the end. God brings the locusts, and they destroy everything. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thanks, David and Jenny. It's not the easiest reading. But uh, I hope that's, that's good, isn't it? I mean, God's word was meant to be read out. People would listen to this. Uh, we're just not used to it anymore. But I hope you can, uh, you can feel the power. Uh, you can see what a few awesome chapters this is. And yeah, I hope we'll see that. But did you hear the purpose? Why are these chapters here? Why did all these plagues come? Well, it's very clear. Is about knowing the Lord, isn't it? Seven times it says that you may know that I'm the Lord. Huh? Uh, we've seen it a few times already, but here it's everywhere. It's the same thing as the past few weeks. God is making himself known. Huh? He's controlling history, uh, world events to show who he is. That people may know that he is the Lord. This is just a spectacular demonstration of who the Lord really is. Huh? And the interesting thing, though, is who is this for? The past few weeks, we've always talked about kind of God's people. Uh, the Israelites would know who God is because they would have a relationship with him. But actually, who is it here? Uh, in uh, 10 verse 2, yeah, the Israelites will know that uh, I am the Lord. But look at 7 verse 5. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. It's not just, uh, uh, what is it? Not just the Israelites, it's the Egyptians. And most of the time, it's Pharaoh. Eh? It's the uh, Egyptians and Pharaoh. So 7.17, addressed to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, you will know there is no one like me. You will know that um, I, the Lord, am in the land. Constantly you, Pharaoh, will know that I am the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not just God's people. I mean, this follows up from what Pharaoh said in chapter 5, eh, when he uh, told the people to make bricks without straw. Why was that? 5 verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. 
and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh says, I don't know who God is. I'm not going to obey. And so he gets a theology lesson. So these plagues, yeah, they don't rescue the Israelites, but it reveals the Lord and reveals it to, uh, yeah, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's very exclusive in a way, isn't it? Uh, it's not, well, I'm your God. You need to know me. But Pharaoh, you know, he has his own gods. No, Pharaoh has other gods, but he needs to know the Lord. God cares about that. It's even more than Pharaoh. Did you hear that in uh, chapter 9? 9 verse 16. Why is God doing this? 9 verse 16. God says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God wants the whole world to know who he is. He's doing such incredible events that the story will just spread all over the world. Hence, this is such big events that the whole world might know the Lord. Now, on the one hand, I think this makes sense, isn't it? This is exactly who God is. It's what we've seen the past few uh, chapters, the past three sermons. God reveals himself. He makes himself known. Although my guess is if you see this, you see the destruction, you see God, okay, the whole world needs to know me. The question we have is, of course, uh, is God an egomaniac, right? I don't know if anyone thought that, especially if you're a visitor. You may wonder, is, uh, you know, if a person says, I want the whole world to know me, most usually we, we don't like that, right? It's arrogant, proud. Is that the same for God? Well, the thing is, God made everyone. Huh? All people were made by God. All people were made to know God. It's who you are as a human being. You're in the image of God. Huh? He made people to know him. Pharaoh is not rejecting some kind of some small God from another country. Pharaoh is rejecting his maker, the God whom he deep down knows, who created him. And that's the same for all people. In fact, everyone will come to know God one day. That's what we need to remember. Uh, when people die, they will meet God and they will know him. And that's something we don't often think about. And so, in a way, if you think about it, what God is doing here is rather merciful. Why? Because he is showing himself now in history, before the end. And that means that there's a chance to repent. You think about it. If people meet God when they die, or on Judgment Day, can they do anything? No, it's, it's too late then, isn't it? But now, people can actually respond. People can repent. And if you think about it, that's, if you read on, that's actually what happens. When the Israelites go out next week in chapter 12, 12 verse 38 says that, uh, whoops, that many other people went up with the Israelites. Many people from other countries had joined. They had seen what God was doing. They could see that's who God is, and they joined the Israelites, including Egyptians. Uh, so actually these people could be saved as a result. Uh, later in Joshua, uh, they get to the promised land. Uh, you know the story how the spies are kind of, uh, they, uh, they go to Rahab and she hides them. 
Why does she hide the spies? Why does she, why is she kind to God's people? This is what Rahab says, this prostitute. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. As she changes sides. Why? Because she heard about God through these events, and so she was not destroyed. And in a way, it's, it's really kind of God to show himself now in history, which, of course, is what he did in Jesus, right? He came in history so we could have a chance to respond before the end. I think to some extent, yeah, the application is obvious, isn't it? God wants all of us to know him, and that includes you if you're visiting today. It's not just that, you know, uh, God is here for the Christians, and uh, for you it doesn't matter. No, no, God wants you uh, to know who he is, because he made you. And for us Christians, God wants, well, our friends and colleagues and other, uh, to, to know him, right? That is his plan. Uh, people in other countries, all around the world, Asia, Africa, South America, God made them all. And they should all, therefore, know him. He wants all of them to have a chance to repent in that sense. As it says here, yeah, God wants his name proclaimed in all the earth. Yeah, telling about what God did back then. And of course not in Egypt, but um, yeah, the signs and wonders of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Of course, that's one objection we have. But I hope you can see that, yeah, this is it's right. <laughs> but it's great if people repent. How about God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Is that unfair? It seems so unfair to, to, to stop him repenting, right? Well, first, like I said earlier, Pharaoh does deserve judgment, right? He's a bloodthirsty tyrant. And so in that sense, I don't think God is unjust. He's giving Pharaoh, to some extent, what he deserves. Nay, less even. But even if he, you say that he wanted to repent, because surely that's the right thing to do, but did he? Would he? It often says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart and he sins again and again. It's not that he is this wonderful, kind man, but God kind of forces him to do all this. Pharaoh's heart is already hard. And yeah, it's, God is in control of it, but Pharaoh is just as much part of it. In the Bible, it's, it's both. It's not just God or people, it's, it's both. And so Pharaoh, yeah, he willingly refuses to obey God. Uh, there's uh, two causes. In the Bible, repentance is a gift. If you, if you can repent, that's a gift from God. Hardening is just God letting you be who you really are. Do ask me later if you want to know more. But that is what God is doing. He's revealing himself. He's showing, demonstrating well, who he is. And who is he? Well, I think it uh, relates to why the whole world needs to know him. He is the only true God. The only true God. Yeah, it can feel like a battle, a contest, but it's just no contest at all, right? There's no doubt who is in charge. There's no doubt who is, who is God. Yeah, that's what 
he says, that you may know that there is no one like me. That you may know that the earth belongs to me. To God. And like Rahab said, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I mean, think about the incredible scale of these miracles. And so Moses had a few miracles. He would throw down his staff and it would turn into a snake. I mean, that's quite a miracle. And yet it's so small, right? Just the staff. He would put his hand in his pocket and it would be leprous. It's quite small. <coughs> These are things in all the land of Egypt, right? He sends flies to all the land of Egypt. I mean, even Jesus' miracles were just in villages and stuff. Uh, this is huge. He controls all of nature. Frogs, gnats, flies, locusts, all these animals. Uh, he controls the weather, the sun, the Nile, sicknesses. It's just complete control. And uh, not just the scale. Uh, he turns a whole river to blood. I don't know if you've ever been in Egypt. I have been. It's a big river. Uh, he just covers the whole land in pitch darkness for three days. Uh, flies in all the land of Egypt. And again, it's completely controlled. Eh? So Moses says, okay, uh, just uh, let me know when should the flies go. Tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. And then the next day Moses prays and all the flies go. And those little details, not a fly remained. Uh, I looked up uh, locusts. Locusts, apparently there's 80 million locusts in a square kilometer of a swarm. And there were locusts in all of Egypt. That's billions of locusts. And God blows a wind and there's not a locust anywhere in Egypt. I mean, who can do this, right? Only the creator, only the one who, who rules over all, who made everything. Only he can do this, right? Only he can have such total control over all of creation. And, and the Egyptians, they, they can't stand against him. They can do a few things, the magicians. There is some real evil power. They're not tricksters. And yet it's nothing compared to, to God. But he's not just a more powerful God. He is the only God. And I think you get it because... Well, a lot of the plagues, they are directed against Egyptian gods, gods that they worshipped, and the plagues are directed against them. So uh, Pharaoh, people thought Pharaoh was a god, right? They, he, he was the ruler, he was the son of the gods. And Pharaoh gets completely humiliated, right? I mean, he, uh, he, yeah, he can't do anything. He can't protect his people, um, he constantly has to, oh, I've sinned, please pray to the Lord for me. Uh, so much for his divinity. The sun was a god, right? They worshipped the sun, and then God just pitch black for three days. Or the Nile. You can imagine people worshipping the Nile. The Nile, it's water, it's full of fish. It brings kind of, yeah, it brings green and trees because it provides water. Yeah, the most expensive houses in Egypt were not next to the MTR, next to the Nile. And then God, well, what does God do? Well, Aaron takes his staff and he strikes the Nile and it turns into blood. If you worship the Nile, it looks like God just killed the Nile, right? He strikes it and it turns into blood. Death everywhere. 
it's, uh, it's not very subtle, but it's effective. And so there's an important lesson. There's only one true God. What you worship are false gods. It's, it's idolatry. It's wrong. There's only one true God. And not just for the Egyptians. It's a lesson for the Israelites as well. They grew up in Egypt with all these other gods who I'm sure they were impressed by. They would go to Canaan full of idols and shoot and worship them. Here is uh, Moses preaching uh, a few years later in Deuteronomy, talking about these events. Deuteronomy 4. Um, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like this ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. And there's just no other gods. And when he then says in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? There are no other gods. And yeah, this is effective. When the Nile, yeah, it's blue, it's full of fish, beautiful trees, you might be tempted to think, oh, powerful Nile, please bless me. I I don't know how they worshipped it. But you wouldn't do that now, right? If it's a river of blood, if you can't stand the smell of all these dead fish, you wouldn't say, oh, powerful Nile, please bless me. You wouldn't do that. Only the Lord is God. And uh, this, is, this is scary, right? These are scary chapters. But yeah, the Lord is, is God. We think of God as a, a, ma- a gray man in the sky, um, a slightly bigger, more powerful man than, than us. No, God is a completely different order of being, right? God is so much greater than us. We usually don't see it. We don't see God controlling all the billions of animals around us. He does. We just don't see it. Now we see it and we think, wow, God is the only true God, the only one there is. Which makes me wonder, what do we worship? What are the things that, that, that we think are, are God's? I mean, uh, money is powerful in Hong Kong. Of course, we don't worship it. Eh? Oh, powerful money, please bless me. We, we don't do that. But we do trust in it, right? I look at my bank balance and I feel safe. I think I, I'm okay. Look at my bank balance. Eh, it rules most of our life. You know, we... Um, we make a decision. The first thing we think about is money. Not, not God, right? We often, so often think about money. Now, it's good to consider money. God wants us to be wise stewards. But often it doesn't feel like God is on the throne, is it? So if these plays would happen today, what would God do? Well, maybe uh, the Hang Seng Index, Right? It's uh, currently about 24,000. 
What if God wiped three zeros of it, brought it down to 24? How would you feel about your savings, your pension, your, uh, yeah, your investments? Suddenly money is gone, isn't it? Your money is not safe. You can't trust it. Maybe it's not money. We like to be in control in other ways. I love my smartphone. I can check everything. I've, I've got control. Uh, a few days ago, my, uh, my, my email didn't work. I couldn't check email for a whole day on my phone. I felt powerless. What if there was just a whole week no internet, no phone? Maybe you'd like it, but for many of us, we'd feel powerless. Or uh, our comfort. You know, life is comfortable in Hong Kong if you have money. Summer is coming, we have our air conditioning. Can you imagine one week without electricity? How would we feel about our comforts? How would we feel about the nice life we have if we'd have a week, you know, summer, 37 degrees, no air con, no fans, no MTR? And just imagine those things. And we, we, we think we're okay. We think life is all right. We trust in all the things we have. You know, you can't trust them. You can't rely on them. The only one we can rely on is, is God. He's in charge. He's the only true God. And he kindly gives us these things. He kindly, you know, he provides for us generously. But God comes first, doesn't he? Uh, we shouldn't say, God, I'll do anything for you as long as it doesn't cost my money or my comforts. No. Those things aren't God. And this is for everyone, not just for Christians. If you're here as a visitor, uh, you, maybe you, you think you're okay. You look at your life, you're, you're fine. God can take everything away in a moment. Uh, he is the one who, who is in charge. He's the one who, uh, yeah, who you need to turn to. The wonderful thing is you can do that. Uh, God wants people to turn to him. And in a way, yeah, sometimes if God takes things away from you, it makes you think. Although you can have that chance now. You can come back to him. You can be forgiven and accepted because Jesus died for you on the cross. Uh, come and talk to me later if you want to know more how you can you know, come back to this God. Because what we haven't talked about yet, yeah, this sounds all very scary, but I, I, in the end I don't want to leave us scared. Because if you were one of God's people, how would you feel during all these plagues? Well, the thing you would realize is that God is on your side. Because these plagues are against Egypt, right? They are against their oppressors. In chapter 8, God says he's making a distinction. 8 verse 22. He says, but on that day... I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. <coughs> and, uh, all these flies, they came, but they did not come to Israel. They were safe. Uh, the diseases, they came in Egypt, but not on Israel. They were safe. Darkness all over Egypt, but there was light in Israel, in Goshen. They were safe. 
the hail did not fall on, on Israel. They were safe. Pharaoh can't protect his people. We've seen it very clearly. But God, if God is on your side, you're, you're safe. Yes, God is, is big, and you don't want to get on his wrong side. That's very clear, isn't it? You wouldn't presume and treat God as, uh, uh, yeah, as your servant. God is God. But if you are on his side, you're safe, right? You can do anything. If this God is, is on your team, if this God is for you, well, who can be against you? And Pharaoh was scary. All the Egyptians and all their gods seem to have such power. No, they don't. You know, these people can worship and trust the Lord in peace. They don't need to fear anything else. And not just you shouldn't trust anything else. You don't need to. You don't need to fear anything else. And we live in this world. It may be scary. And we're held back from living God's way. Held back from living all out for Jesus, you know. We're afraid of what might happen. But this is our God. If you trust in Jesus, you're his child. And God makes a distinction. Uh, you're his people. So you have nothing to fear. And so don't come away scared. Come away with a big view of God. But if you're a Christian, yeah, God is with you. And we'll see more of that in the next few chapters. But it's already here. So let's be encouraged. Let's sing a great song about this in a moment. Yeah, our God is greater. But first, let's take half a minute just to uh, reflect, and then we'll sing.